is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm here with my co-host Lee. Hey, and you're joining us for a major disaster that's going to get real cold real fast. <laughs> First up, a little bit of housekeeping. I do it every time. I'll just blast through it. I'll blast all the way through it. Just pile drive it. A lot of new listeners. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi. We're so happy to have you here. If you want to know the best way to help us out, number one is tell a friend to listen. Well, you can tell them whatever you want, but among the things that you tell them would be listen to this podcast, please. Within your spiel of bullcrap. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Listen to this is a disaster. You <laughs> <So> know. <anyway. laughs> Next best thing, if you're not already, please subscribe wherever you're listening to us and leave us a review. That'd be fantastic. Tell us what we're doing good, what we're what we're not doing so good. We've been getting some pretty good feedback lately. It's, yeah. It's appreciated so much. I oh, can't believe it. Totally. Uh, yeah, some people have gotten in touch to tell us their favorite episodes and stuff, so if you, if you just feel like doing that, do that. We love hearing from you. Yeah, it's warms great. the heart. It you know does. What I mean? We have we let's have very us, cold. Let us know you're out there. Let us know you're out there. <laughs> We're and cold hearted. Yeah. Warms our cold husks of human forms. We pretend to be normal people with feelings. So do it we helps. Though? Well, I do in our home lives. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone listening knows the truth. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, if you want to keep up with what we're doing on uh, social medias at this disaster pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we got a website www.thisdisasterpod.com and a brand new Patreon.com/slash/thisdisasterpod. Check that out. On to today's disaster. So right. we spent a lot of time <clears throat> dealing with radioactive tragedies. We sure did. To the point where I was like, ah, I just kind of want to talk about the weather. <laughs> you, know? you know what I mean? It's a safe topic. If, if you're just joining us, take a take a look. Like right before these episodes, we did a part two part episode on Chernobyl. We talked about Three Mile Island and a mini episode between yeah. those two, and then we topped everything off by talking about depressing reality of <laughs> life after the yeah, Chernobyl the psychological effect. We so, took a deep dive. Deep dive. I was taking iodine pills by the end of it. <laughs> just didn't feel just right. in case. Just in case. So I thought I would talk about the weather <laughs> in the way that we can only talk about it on this podcast sidebar about meteorology oh cool <laughs> right off the bat in 350 bc oh again if you're just joining us we like context we like to cover the bases we go deep yeah we go deep yeah in 350 bc aristotle wrote a treatise called meteorology oh it was about 100 years after the plague of athens Okay. Which I thought would be a nice uh, point of reference. The very first episode we did was about the Plague of Athens. Exactly. It's kind so, of our anchor point. This treatise focused mainly on geology, geography, hydrology, talked about Earth as a sphere, wow. which I thought was interesting. 350 BC. They had a lot of it kind of yeah. nailed down even back then. They sure did. That always, I've got a note here, like we figured that shit out 2,400 years ago. That for the Earth, you people. Yeah. For, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and now we've got like flat Earth things, which I still can't figure out if they're pulling my leg. It's a big troll. Yeah. It seems like it is. It, it's It's got to be, right? <laughs> We're always looking to learn. So if you yeah. believe that the earth is flat, like a pancake, um, remember that Looney Tunes? Kind when of like maybe. Bugs Bunny, oh, it's yeah. like that Bugs Bunny thing where he's Christopher Columbus. Right, right. And they're trying to, we're going off the rails. But if you think that the earth is not a sphere, get in touch. I want to be convinced. Yeah, we want to publicly out you. No, we don't. <laughs> it also, so this treatise also talked about the four elements that made up all matter. Norm actually didn't get to talk at nuclear norm when yeah. he was here. He was going to talk about like the history of the atom. Oh. And it started with Aristotle describing that all matter is made up of the four elements, which are, of course, fire, air, water, and earth. Sure. Not heart. The lamest of the powers. Heart. Do you remember Captain Planet? <laughs> no. I think that was just a Canadian thing. It was like a cartoon where I've got like the title of this is The Great Blizzard of 1888. And I've already talked about like eight things that aren't related to blizzards. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you 
And maybe it'll stay in, maybe it won't. There was a show called Captain Planet where you'd have like the planeteers and each one had a ring that signified some part of nature. You have like earth, wind, fire. And then there's one person that had a heart. And that band would play whenever their song. (laughs) And and heart was one one of them had a heart. And I always thought, even as a kid watching it, I'm like, Lame. Lame. One of the dudes can like fucking whip whip up a fire tornado. Right. I've got the power of friendship. <laughs> you stay back at the base. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Just wait. Stay back at the base with your monkey. He had a pet monkey. All right. This treatise called Meteorology that Aristotle wrote in 350 BC before Captain Planet was even a twinkle in anyone's <laughs> eye. It talked about the atmosphere. So it talked about water vapor and the weather. And most impressively, it described what would eventually be named the hydrologic or water cycle. Does you rem- do you remember that? Uh, the water cycle? Oh, like photosynthesis and stuff? No, no. So this is, so basically in a nutshell, because I had to remind myself too, this, this is the cycle that says that water evaporates from the oceans and lakes, it condenses in clouds, and then it comes down on mountains as precipitation, as rain or snow, hmm. it flows down mountains and runs into rivers and then into lakes and the oceans. And it also goes into like groundwater where it gets stored and it also makes its way back to the ocean. So Aristotle was already talking about that in 350 BC. What was his official sort of vocation or title? I guess philosopher philosopher but again but we, also quite the scientist <laughs> it before there was such a thing <laughs> like we said in the very first episode this was the first time where you actually had a civilization in place and you had enough resources in place that you could have people like aristotle that could just sit and just be like huh so, yeah, time to go to work yeah hmm. right yeah <laughs> it's just but so much low-hanging fruit nobody had thought of this stuff i sure. wonder where rain comes from right zeus okay okay Cool your jets. <laughs> Where does it actually come yeah, yeah. from? Shut up for a second. <laughs> Use your brains. So he didn't get all the details, obviously, but he did observe things like evaporation and condensation. That's crazy. Uh, he even wrote about conditions necessary for rain and lightning. So like he, they were starting to understand a lot more than you would think. Right. Right. It wasn't all God's clanging symbols together up. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So people have been trying to predict the weather since they knew what it was. So I guess hating the weather is evolutionary. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to rain today. Mr. Aristotle bullshit. (laughs) Whatever his last name is. Smith? Smith is the oldest last name. (laughs) So Aristotle's meteorology is likely the first solid accounting of this kind of weather. Again, because it was the golden age of philosophy. Nobody had really sat down to think about anything yet. (laughs) (laughs) Why bother? Too busy trying not to die. Exactly. People had just stopped worrying about being stabbed to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could take a breath. Yeah. I'm not dodging arrows today. What the hell? (laughs) What's rain? (laughs) (laughs) What is rain anyway? So while Aristotle and those that followed did some work towards describing weather phenomenon, prediction was still based on prophecy in the gods. So he was good at describing what weather was. Right. But it's still, if it's bad weather and it screws up your crop, it's because you did something wrong and the gods are punishing Right. You You didn't sacrifice the appropriate amount of... Whatever. Exactly. It's kind of like when we talked about in that first episode about the plague of Athens, Hippocrates and how far medicine had come. But you get to a point, you understand basically how diseases work and how people get sick. And then you're sick because of the four humors and the gods are punishing you. Uh So you get to a point. So close. I'm I'm impressed at the amount of stuff he did figure out. Oh, totally. So, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Put a big F-E on that. So reading about the evolution of humans' understanding of the weather is actually pretty cool. You kind of take it for granted now. You just turn on the weather channel. Right. Or there's some stuff that you just don't think about at all. Like, for example, there's an Arab physicist and astronomer called Ibn al-Haytham. So in 1021, he showed that... 
atmospheric refraction of sunlight is what causes twilight. Why is there light after the sun sets? Sure. Again, that's the kind of thing where I don't, either you don't think about it or at this point, it's maybe obvious that it's the atmosphere refracting stuff. Yeah. Or just something you don't think about. Yeah, it's kind of like, that's what causes that. Oh, that thing I never once considered. Right. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. So, <laughs> right? You just think about him sitting there, again, like Aristotle, like, yo, you ever notice how there's still light even though the sun's on yeah. the horizon? Just low-hanging fruit everywhere. Right. Anything you look at, it's like, I wonder why that tree has leaves on it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a full day at work. What's even more impressive, Al-Haytham went a step further and estimated that the height of the Earth's atmosphere was 79 kilometers or 49 miles. Okay. In reality, the Kármán line, which is generally accepted as the border between the atmosphere and space, is 100 kilometers or 62 miles. So he was like right there. Right in the ballpark. They're just figuring the shit out. Impressive. Yeah, it blows my mind. Earth is a sphere, and this is like 1021, still a thousand years ago. Yep. So if you ever doubt that civilization as we know it can fall, consider that Romans had plumbing in 300 BC. Yeah. Ibn al-Haytham calculated the height of Earth's atmosphere in 1021. Yeah. And in 1347, the streets of France were caked in human feces <laughs> because they didn't know how to deal with plumbing. Oh. So far, the one thing that all great civilizations have in common is that they've all fallen. Yeah. So if you're ever like driving around on the highway thinking, this time we figured it yeah, out. Yeah, it won't happen now. Uh-huh. It's happened so many times. Yeah. How did these Italians figure out to get this poop out of the street? <laughs> That's a reference to our Black Death episode. Yeah, right. Episode 13 and 14. Check those out. <laughs> so most of the instruments that we use to measure the weather were actually invented in the 17th century. Things like the barometer and thermometer and wind gauges and stuff. Mm. By the 1650s, scientists were making observations of weather conditions using these instruments. So in 1654, Ferdinando II de Medici established the first weather observation network with outposts throughout Europe. Cool. So that's 12 years before the Great Fire of London. Okay. Episode three. <laughs> We're just going to mark <laughs> every little point in history. We also, like we've done, we've, we, we've jumped around through history quite a bit. We're not trying to do like inside jokes or whatever, but we refer to previous episodes a lot to kind of orient ourselves. Yeah. Because a lot of the things come up often and it's good to know where we are in history. We're just going to drop a pin wherever we happen to spend some time. Basically. And bring it up. So 12 years before... London burned down. You can hear all about that in episode three. Fernard, Ferdinando II established the first weather observation network throughout Europe. Right. It was a good start, but it wasn't so great over time. By the 18th century, a much larger weather observation network was established by nation states. Mm-hmm. It was an because, even bigger rooster on a weather vane. <laughs> <laughs> now we have two. Oh. Uh, so this network was made much more efficient because it used electromagnetic telegraph to communicate rapidly between outposts. Ooh. So in the 17th century, you're probably still relying on like riders and carrier pigeons. Yeah. And now you had early versions of, I don't telegraph. know if they used Morse code at that point, but they, had, they could communicate yeah. through text messages basically. Sure. So a similar observation network was established in the United States in 1849 by the Smithsonian Institution. Okay. That's a group of museums and research centers administered by the government. So it's spreading. The idea that knowing what What's coming is a good idea, mm-hmm. has sort of taken seed. Little prediction. Yep. Daily weather forecasts began being published in the UK in the 1860s, and they were based on reports from the Meteorological Status to the Board of Trade Office. Okay. That's basically the UK's version of one of these networks. Right. And those predictions were published in The Times. Ah. Which were a sister publication to the Sunday Times. Nice. Which sponsored the Golden Globe competition 100 years later, which Donald Crowhurst would enter okay. and see episode nine and <laughs> Told ten. Told ya. <laughs> we're connecting a lot of dots. Yeah. yeah. So some little kid in a newsy hat's like, I can hear you the 
yeah. like out on the street. Yeah, basically. But this talking is talking papers. But what's cool is that that's like the first instance of opening the newspaper and then seeing, seeing the weather. What tomorrow's going to be right. I'm sure people <laughs> probably been, a lot of more wrong than right. People have been bitching about weathermen yeah, exactly. since 1860. It turns out. Of it. <laughs> Other countries established their own official weather services over time. You had the India Meteorological Department in 1875, the Japan Meteorological Agency in 1883, and the United States Weather Bureau in 1890. Close sidebar on meteorology. Now the episode can start. Now the episode can start. <laughs> New York. Oh. March 10th, 1888. Here we are. So on the evening of March 10th, Sergeant Elias Dunn went home satisfied with a job well done. Great. Right? Oh, I love Good it. Good start. Yeah. He worked at the U.S. Signal Corps Weather Observatory in New York City. So after receiving reports from all over the northeastern United States by wire and telephone, he issued the weather forecast for the day's paper. So on Sunday the 11th, it said cloudy, followed by light rain and clearing. Okay. Nice March day. Yeah. Not a, not yeah. a, not a big Typical. deal. Typical. So he worked for the National Weather Service. Prior to the establishment of the Weather Bureau, which I mentioned before, yeah. President Ulysses S. Grant established the National Weather Service in 1870. Okay. And it was operated by the Signal Corps. And I'll talk about them in a second. Okay. And the mandate that he gave them, uh, this is a quote from Ulysses S. Grant. Mm. I'm going to say that full name every time because it's such a cool name. It's a good name. If that's your name, you you get to say it every time. You get So the mandate was to provide for taking meteorological observations at the military stations in the interior of the continent and at other points in the states and territories. And for giving notice on the northern Great Lakes and on the seacoast by magnetic telegraph and marine signals of the approach and force of storms. So basically, Boy, that's keep, a lot. keep an eye on the weather and okay. telling us if it's getting worse. I, I stopped listening pretty pretty quickly, so <laughs> thank you for summing that up. <laughs> like, oh, fair. If I was that guy, I'm like, oh, shit. That's oh, fair. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Say what I said <laughs> back. Yes, yes. Say uh, what I said back. Uh, to put uh, Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> yep. That was him. That's one of the things That's that something said. he said. You know what? Mini sidebar on Ulysses S. Grant, because <laughs> I just wanted to look into it. He was the 18th president of the United States. Right. He was a general leading the Union Army to victory in the American Civil War. I knew that. He rebuilt the Union with the help of radical Republicans, mm. whose central tenet was the immediate uncompromising elimination of slavery. I feel like that term has changed over time. Yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> sounds, worms. sounds good on paper. So speaking of the Civil War, the Signal Corps was established in 1860, and it was created... So the Signal Corps creates and manages communications and information networks for command and control. So it was established during the Civil War to do those things. Yeah. And they their history has spanned flag signals during the Civil War uh-huh. all the way to modern telecommunication networks and cyber warfare and stuff. Right. That's the Signal Corps. And Ulysses S. Grant. It's kind of like a twofer. The uh, Union. I forgot to mention that this episode, there's a few sidebars in sidebars, <laughs> kind of like a sidebar, sidebarception sort of thing. E- e- oh, yeah, gotcha. Another, again, new listeners will learn that we enjoy sidebars. We like our sidebars. You know when you're like researching something and you find something interesting and then you research that thing? <laughs> we do that out loud for you. Oh, I got another tab open in Wikipedia. <laughs> so satisfying. Whenever I finish one of these episodes, yeah, your I don't, browser I don't, goes, Brum. I don't close the browser. I go through the satisfaction of closing the tabs one by oh, one. So too. I can be like, bang, 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 bang. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it's good. So you can imagine Dunn's surprise, coming back to the observation point. Sergeant Dunn, you can imagine his surprise when he drudged through heavy rain and wind to get into work on Sunday afternoon. Okay, Because yeah. he predicted light drizzle and right. fair weather. Yeah. While Dunn tried unsuccessfully to contact the National Weather Service, headquarters in Washington, D.C., trouble was brewing on a continental scale. Oh, dear. So frigid air dumped down into the United States from northwestern Canada. 
You're welcome. Sorry. We're a Canadian <laughs> podcast, yeah. so we tend to dump cold Take weather. Take the blame for that. Our bad. Yeah. And, and this weather front was actually traveling at 130 kilometers an hour, 80 miles per hour. Man. For reference, cold fronts of this kind typically travel at around like 35 kilometers an hour okay. or 20 miles per hour. So this is a rapidly advancing cold front. Booting it. At the same time, warm, moist air was moving north from the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. So basically you have it seems super cold weather coming down, yeah. super warm weather coming up. That doesn't seem volatile at all. We'll see how that goes. It's going to be a friendly mix. So when the two weather systems like this meet, yes. there's typically a period of stalemate. So the cold front basically stopped in its tracks by the warm front. All right. In this case, the cold air system moving from the Arctic was a lot larger and moving much faster and eventually pushed <laughs> through the warm air moving okay. up from the north. So who blinks first? Kind of, exactly. Gulf Stream. And this kind of standoff exists almost continually at the polar front. Where is that? Mini sidebar about the polar front. Yes. So the Earth is divided into six latitudinal sections called cells. Oh. There's the polar cell, the feral cell, Uh and the Hadley cell. Uh And they're mirrored north to south. Okay. And these are, they're wind belts that circulate the atmosphere around the Earth. So you've got a polar cell, a feral cell, and a Hadley cell on the north and south divisions of the Earth. There's one matching north and yeah. south on each you've got a polar cell at the at like the north and south poles sure. then feral cells right, right below and above okay. that and then the hadley cells like right near the equator gotcha around the equator north and south is split by the intertropical convergence zone midway between the equator and poles you have the horse latitudes Heard of that sidebarception beating a dead horse <laughs> and i'm gonna tell you why this is I'll, I'll tell you why this was a sidebar okay so seamen used to be paid in advance before long voyages who did seamen who seamen <laughs> seamen would be paid in advance before long voyages and they'd usually blow it all right away right they'd blow all their seamen they'd blow <laughs> we're not gonna be able to get through this no so they would need to take a debt from the ship's treasure okay. so there was a period where they would be working off this debt which they called a dead horse time basically okay or it's a dead horse debt dead horse debt and they would last about two months dhd once they worked off that whole debt they would celebrate by making an effigy of a dead horse and dragging it around the deck and beating it and then throwing it overboard (laughs) hence and beating a dead horse okay that's where you get beating a dead horse (laughs) yeah to tie this in it took seamen about two months to work (laughs) off this dead horse debt yeah so they'd end up doing the ceremony around the same latitude which end up being called the horse latitudes Okay. And those horse latitudes are what splits midway between the equator and the poles. Okay. And then the boundary between the polar and the feral cells is called the polar front. And that's kind of what we're talking about now. So cold polar air meets warm tropical air and can form mid-latitude cyclones, which can result in anything from cloudiness and showers to thunderstorms, tornadoes, and blizzards. Okay. In the polar front, that kind of condition exists continuously. Right. But it can also be formed if you get something like a polar front anywhere in the world. Like, for example, if you have a massive amount of Arctic air flowing down from Canada Mm -hmm. and a warm front coming down from the Gulf of Mexico. On March 11th, 1888, this kind of front formed in Delaware about midway across the United States. Okay. So remember the mid-latitude cyclones that I just mentioned? Yep. Remember how they could cause anything from cloudiness to blizzards? I do. This front went with the latter. I see. So it resulted in violent winds and caused a frozen hurricane in Delaware. A frozen hurricane. Uh Uh-huh. And then it started traveling north. Nothing good about that. No. Hurricanes are bad enough on their own. Yeah. Now we got a frozen. Now you got one whipping ice at you. So this isn't your typical Ottawa blizzard. Okay. So I know that people, we're in Ottawa, Canada, people like to complain about the weather here. But we're also, we can deal with it. Yeah. Like we get a fair amount of snow. But on the other hand, I feel like here we get a few flakes of snow and everyone forgets how to drive. 
Oh, for example. yeah, well, like, can't forget about that. You get a, like a light snowfall, first snowfall of the season, no snow on the highway, and people are crawling along at yeah. like 60 kilometers an hour, and you're yeah. like, it's are the you, one on the right, are it's you the pedal all, on the right, accelerate. <laughs> are you all new? <laughs> so in this case, it was a practically solid wall of wind and snow on a trudging march northward. Okay. To get to New York, where we'll end up focusing, the blizzard needed to cross Delaware Bay. And it did this without taking any prisoners. So it <laughs> snapped anchor cables and flung ships into the shore like a toddler playing in a bathtub. <laughs> wow. Several ships sank by the advancing front like they were nothing. It's kind of like stomping in a puddle and watching leaves sink underneath. It's a malevolent theme. It is. Sergeant Dunn of the Signal Corps in New York didn't get the message or didn't know of the severity because the Sunday evening's forecast for Monday said, generally fair and colder, preceded by partial cloudiness near the coast. Tomorrow, it promises to be lightly warmer and generally fair. That's a great big donut. If you're paying attention, he said generally twice. Overusing generally is one of those situations where, <laughs> you know, somebody asks you and you don't know the answer. Right. Uh, generally, it's about like generally, uh, generally, I'd say probably generally warm. It'll be like generally not too windy. Yeah, generally, you know, If you don't know, just say. Don't waste everyone's <laughs> no, time. No, it'll be like generally warm. I think, uh, I think we're good. Generally speaking, it'll be generally warm in a general sense. <laughs> Fortunately, nature doesn't care how forewarned you are. So ignorant or not, the great white hurricane, as it was called, was coming and would be there before anyone knew what was happening. Wow. So James Algeo was returning home with his family on Sunday evening when their horse-drawn streetcar was shoved off its track by fierce winds. Oh, okay. I had no idea that horse-drawn streetcars were a thing. I did not either. Mini sidebar about horse-drawn <laughs> streetcars. <laughs> so they were established in New Hell York yeah. in 1832 yeah. on the New York and Harlem Railroad. Yeah. By 1890, a New York City resident would take about 300 horse car rides each year. Okay. I had no idea these were a thing, and I guess everyone's riding them. Yeah. Interestingly, for people in Canada, Toronto had horse cars on the Toronto Street Railway starting in 1861, and it was replaced by electric streetcars by 1894. So 30 years in Toronto, we had horse cars. That's crazy. So picture, I just pictured horse and carriage. I never knew there were horse-drawn streetcars. Streetcars. Picture a streetcar like you picture it now, but then put a horse in front of it. I'll put yeah, it all on social media. team of horses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I want to see that. Thing. The last official horse car service ran until 1954 in Kelia, Mexico. Okay. Close sidebar on horse cars. I'm, I'm, I'm glad about that sidebar. So Algio and a few other passengers got the car back on its tracks in the pouring rain. And think like, when I say pouring rain, think like 14th century Europe rain that we talked about in the Black Death episode. Oh yeah, like just... Pelting, <laughs> beating you raw... <laughs> Leaving, leaving red marks. Basically. Okay. Just after midnight on Sunday the 11th, different guy, Arthur Beer, looked out his window and he said, quote, the air looked as though some people were throwing buckets full of flour from all the rooftops. <laughs> so picture probably heavier snowfall than you've ever seen. All right. Like you can't see through it. So heavy. Either there's a baker's revolt or that's the heaviest <laughs> snowfall I've ever seen. <laughs> It's with all the flour in there. If the bakers are revolting, why would they be dumping the flour? I guess it's a symbolic. Kind it's of. more symbolic. Yeah. They'll regret it later. Like so the rain had turned to snow and it wouldn't stop for a while. Like an hour? Well, like a, like a day. Oh. Let's give it a day. Okay. So in the morning, snow in New York isn't really unheard of. Right. But waking up to 140 kilometers an hour or 85 mile per hour <laughs> winds is? Forget the horse cars. Those are pretty much, leave those aren't them, going anywhere. Leave them in the stable. Yeah. They were getting blown off, blown off the tracks the night before. All right. People trying to get to work could rely on the elevated trains which I had forgotten existed. They operated from 1878 to 1955. Oh, jeez. Some of them ran until 1973. So okay. before they had a subway, they had these elevated yeah. trains all the throughout L, New York. Yeah. they call it. Oh, did they? I've heard that said. Was that in New York? It was in the movie The Fugitive. Kimball? <laughs> I didn't kill her. 
I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> At one point, an overloaded elevated train was struggling to climb a steep grade in the line because it's just, there's so many people on it right. and the tracks are covered in snow, so yeah. it can't make its way up. It's unclear whether the conductor of the second train wasn't paying attention or just couldn't see through the wall of snow. Yeah. And he ended up sounding the whistle, but it was too late and collided with the back of that first train. Ooh. Killing one person and injuring 14. Yikes. So it's getting it's getting dicey. Yeah. And again, this is not your average snowfall. Nope. Invisible. Unprepared. Basically. Sheet of sheet of white. Sheet of white. Understandably. Click wins. No, exactly. Yeah. Understandably, the elevated trains ground to a halt. Yeah. Unfortunately, they ground to a halt with people in them. Oh. So they weren't empty. They There was about 15,000 people stuck <laughs> inside the unheated train cars. Oh, great. Elevated above the city streets. They're calling up the service for the day. <laughs> we're still can in we get, can, can we, we get home? We're, we're done. We're, we're, we're done. Home. It's, we're it's not safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. Union called it snow day. Also, what's a union? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thankfully, though, New Yorkers take care of their own. So people showed up with ladders to help people get down off the elevated tracks. Nice. At a cost of $2 each. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Every Capitalism. disaster has its asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Two dollars, what? <laughs> or you could sleep up there. That's how they talk in New York. It's true, even back then. Even back then. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe that's one of our expanding list of disaster commandments or whatever we're calling them. Oh. Every disaster has its asshole. It's not more, it's not a rule. It's more of a tenet or something. Tenet, you know, yeah. yeah. Maybe, oh, tenets. They're yeah, going to be tenets. The disaster tenets. The disaster tenets. Every, Every disaster, disaster has its opportunist. Yeah. Asshole. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I'm going I'm to chisel that into the stone slab that <laughs> yeah, we've got going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't limited to elevated trains. Only four of 15 scheduled mail trains actually arrived in NYC. Mm. So basically, New York City was cut off from all mail communication. Did the girls get through? <laughs> <laughs> mail like letters. Like the letters. Yeah. Not no. the boys. <laughs> I'm just full of them today. Sure are. <laughs> you keep setting me up. People that did manage to get to work were stuck there. Right. Obviously, assembly lines stood shut down. Macy's department store closed at noon, and it put out cots for employees that made it in but were now stranded. Man, why would you even try? I, don't I know. mean, hats off to you, but yeah. God. Different. 140 kilometer wind. Stay home. Yeah. No right. one needs to go buy a tie. <laughs> well, <laughs> tell that to uh, <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt. Unclear whether it's like... Teddy Future Roosevelt. president? I should have looked up the timing <laughs> on this one. Anyway, he walked five kilometers or three miles through the storm to keep a meeting, and the person that he met with didn't show up. So Who's he... Who's the bigger jerk? <laughs> well, Roosevelt marched home and then sent him a note that said, <laughs> I presume the blizzard kept you at home. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. That's a kind that's of a like passive-aggressive text yeah, message right. you send. <laughs> guess you're not making it in guess today? guess you're not making it because of the weather. I made it in fine. <laughs> You know, you do you, I guess, yeah. different different approaches. But why not just walk? That's what George Barrymore thought. So he was 47, six feet tall, okay. 200 pounds, dead in a snowdrift four blocks from his home. Dead? Could, yeah. Because oh, he man. went to work and then he was like, fuck this, I'm going home. Uh -huh. And then he was a popsicle. He just so froze. Died. He just froze. Jeez. Because yeah. wind whipping, snow falling, if you fall over, you're going to be buried in no time. No kidding. Of course, you're going to get disoriented and yep. lost. Exactly. Yeah. You need a lifeline to walk in that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things were worse at sea. There was okay. a passenger yacht called Cythera or Kythera. It was lost at sea with all on board. And remember like the blizzard tearing through Delaware Bay and just knocking ships over oh, yeah, nothing. Right. So it was, it was one of those. Other ships arrived at foreign ports covered in knee-deep snow and ice from their journeys. Mm. The crews couldn't spend more than an hour on deck without getting frostbite and dying. Jeez. What's the... Like, did you mention any temperatures? No, I didn't. And actually, now that you mention it, no, I haven't seen temperatures. Okay. 
We'll assume it was sub zero beyond freezing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially especially at sea. Things uh, get things yeah. get a lot colder there. Oh yeah. Back at the weather bureau, done with seething. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who made these two shitty calls. Egg on his face. To be fair, he didn't really have any information, so he was just generally, you know, generally coming up with generally whatever he could generally come up with. <laughs> In a general sense, yeah. I'd yeah. That's true. <laughs> he, he was completely blindsided by the great white blizzard clusterfuck. All right. He was expecting mild weather and got nothing like it. Mm. The observatory was like a tomb. There was basically no sound, no communication from anywhere because the lines were being weighed down by ice and snow. Uh And at this point, if you look at a picture of New York City in like the late 19th century, it's like the stereotypical nest of power and telecommunication lines overhead. Yeah. Like this is before they figured out how to have like a single power line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have like a dozen going to each building, (laughs) which I don't don't know how more people didn't die. Most importantly, the anemometer wasn't working. What's that word you just said? Anemometer? Yeah. That I nailed the first time I ever said it? You nailed it. It's an instrument used for measuring wind speed. Ah. It's kind of like a weather vane, but you know, it's like those, you got those four half cups. Yes. That kind of spin around. So it measures wind speed. Oh, that's what that does. So the anemometer was mounted on an eight meter, 25 foot tall pole on top of the observatory. Okay. People in the observatory weren't really lining up to be the first person to climb up there in 100 kilometer an hour winds. You know what So just as every disaster has its assholes, <laughs> they also have their badasses. Oh, okay. I didn't mention this before, but we're getting a double disaster. Oh. Starting now. Okay. Double disaster. <laughs> double down. The Lady Franklin Bay Expedition. Also known as the Greeley Expedition. Okay. And this is going to tie in, trust me. But okay. you're getting a mini disaster in the middle here. Oh, my God. I don't know if I can handle all this disaster. Yeah. You, you know, have, have have like a coffee or a Red Bull before you listen to this episode. Yeah, I should have said yeah, that up top. Yeah. But don't worry. We'll tie it all in. The Greeley Expedition was an expedition to the Canadian Arctic led by Lieutenant Adolphus Greeley. Good name. It's, yeah. It was sponsored by the United States Army Signal Corps which also ran this observatory. So yep, that's heard about one them. point of time. And the mission was to establish a meteorological observation station at the far north. 1881, a group of 25 men led by Greeley sailed their ship, the Proteus, to St. John's, Newfoundland, <clears throat> which is approximately 900 kilometers or 560 miles east of Halifax. Yes. Which we talked about in our Halifax explosion episode. That's right. So 16. That was, <laughs> that was a disaster. That was one heck of a disaster. So Proteus sailed on and arrived at Lady Franklin Bay on August 11th, 1881. And it's about as north as northern Canada gets. It's right. in the modern territory of uh, none of it. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's pretty But it's north. just like super north. If you look at a map, you've got like the northern tip of Greenland and right across from that is Lady Franklin Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they arrived on August 11th, 1881, and they established their settlement named Fort Conger. Okay. What Greeley didn't know is that their passage to Lady Franklin Bay had been smooth because of an unseasonably warm summer in the region, which led them to assume that the planned resupply missions wouldn't have a problem. Why would you assume there'd be any problem? Smooth sailing. We got here in no time. Saying, exactly. He's a cake. (laughs) 1882, next year. Yes. One year later. The men in Lady Franklin Bay expected relief from a ship called the Neptune, but the Neptune was cut off by ice and bad weather. Oh, there was bad weather. Yeah, well, remember how we said that was unseasonably warm? Now it's back to normal. Swung back the other way. Which is shit. The captain of the Neptune encountered this bad weather and turned around. Yeah. (laughs) One of our survival tenants. When in doubt, turn (laughs) around. Turn the F around. In the meantime... The doctor that Greeley had picked up along the way to Lady Franklin Sound announced that he would not be renewing his contract, mm. which it kind of weird because he said he'd keep tending to the expedition, but not officially, I guess. Mm. I don't 
know why you would anyway <laughs> Greeley took it no, uh, Greeley took it real well yeah he placed the doctor under arrest okay and he vowed to court-martial him when they returned to the U.S. okay so He's some tensions kind of a severe man so <laughs> rescue like it's like you're court-martialed yeah now we wait yeah <laughs> a year later it's, like, this it's coming <sighs> <sighs> seriously dude like... you're just seething the whole time <laughs> yeah. just you wait for that <laughs> court-martial you're not gonna believe just... it Drop it. Yeah. We're so far Dude. from civilization. Yeah. <laughs> 1883. One year later. So they've been here for two years now, coming on to year three. <laughs> Rescue attempts by the Proteus and one other ship failed. The Proteus ended up being crushed by ice and sank. Good. Which is not great. No. Greeley decided since two consecutive planned reliefs hadn't showed up, him and his men would travel south to try and see what's going on. Right. Mostly because the plan was for supply ships to drop their supplies along the route if they couldn't make it all the way to Greeley's camp, uh -huh. which makes sense. Yeah. Since one of them sank and the other one didn't make it much further, the only supplies left were in a single emergency cache meant to last 40 days. Hmm. How many days in a year? More than 40. More than, more than 40. Quite a bit more than yeah. 40. Yeah. So by the time Greeley and his men found the cache in October 1883, it was too late to turn back and they had to set up camp on the spot. Oh. Eventually they did make it back to camp, but not a great, not a great start. Okay. Or not a great continuation. There's three years at this point. <laughs> yes. Year four, oh, 1884. Oh God. A rescue mission <laughs> headed by Winfield Scott Schley <laughs> led four ships to Greeley's camp. And there they found the seven surviving men of oh. the initial 25. Oh, okay. Wow. Well. Everyone else had died of hypothermia, starvation, or drowning. And one man had actually been shot for repeated ration theft. Oh. Which, to I be mean, fair. That's, just, that's all. Fair well, enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. First time, it's like, dude, we're all hungry. Yeah. Fourth time, dude. fucking shoot him. Like, <laughs> yeah. how many times have I, you know, you're dead. Yeah. You're dead. <laughs> Ain't gonna learn. And you know that for his part, the guy that was doing the stealing was probably like, Yeah. Yeah, kill me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get you to shoot me this whole yeah, time. <laughs> finally. So following the rescue, the body of Lieutenant Frederick Kisslingbury was exhumed following certain accusations. Uh-huh. They found that flesh had been cut from his bones. Oh. If you want to hear more about what happens when you run out of food, <laughs> check out our Egyptian famine episode. Yeah. Episode yeah. 12. <laughs> 25 people down to seven, no food. <laughs> but... Why go? Why let it go to waste? Yeah, plenty of meat. Uh huh. Yeah, I think I could probably get on board with that. Yeah, you know that kind of situation. I mean, I'm speculating, but <sighs> at a certain point, at a certain point, you four years. Do what you got to do. You've been stuck there for four years. Yeah, no real hope of rescue. All right, but still, the the will to survive. Yeah, like, just to hang in there as long as it takes. I think it's very easy <laughs> to be disgusted by it now in the comfort of our sweaters. Exactly. And being indoors. Full and bellies. Going upstairs and grabbing something from the fridge. Right. I think four years oh. in a camp in the middle of nowhere is going to make anything look tasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After you've eaten your shoes. Yeah. Right. Right. So, coming back to New York in 1888, mm. when Sergeant Dunn in the observatory was searching for volunteers to climb an eight meter tall pole in the worst snowstorm the northeastern coast had ever seen, <laughs> the task didn't seem like such a big deal to Francis Long because Francis Long was known for being the cheerful hunter and cook at Fort Conger and he was one of the seven survivors wow. of that mission. <laughs> so Francis Long calmly walked to a supply closet, <laughs> grabbed a hatchet and headed for the roof. <laughs> You can picture this kind of guy, right? Yes, I can. You're where I'm in awe slash terrified of this guy. Right? He's yeah. the kind of person where like he's seen some shit and you probably don't want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a story of uh on second thought. You never know mind. what? That faraway stare in your eyes? No, I don't. No. I, I, I pass, pass. Yeah. Pass, pass. He went to the roof, 
Four men, including Dunn, steadied the base of the pole against the 100 kilometers an hour wind, right. and Long shimmied to the top, broke the ice off with the hatchet, plugged in whatever came unplugged, and the anemometer spun once again. Came back down, had a like smoke. Nothing. You guys got any flesh? Bro, that dude's weird, <laughs> Could man. really go for some human jerky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so by the end of the day on the 12th, everything within 160 kilometers or 100 miles of New York was frozen in a sheet of white. Hmm. Everyone was stuck wherever they were when the blizzard hit. So hotels doubled and tripled up on rooms until they were basically filled to the brim. And okay. then they filled their halls with cots. Oh, wow. So just like people were stuck and kept coming because there's nowhere else to go. Right. P.T. Barnum of P.T. Barnum fame. Circus guy. Yeah. So he embodied the show must go on. <laughs> the circus was scheduled to open on that day. And they played a matinee and evening show to 100 people in Madison Square Garden. Oh. At the time, the capacity of Madison Square Garden was 10,000. Okay. So, but he, they did it. What they else are you going to do? Right. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Echoing. Cheer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got like a handful of claps. We're all going to die. <laughs> also, if you thought for a second that bars shut down, think again. Oh, man. Nowhere to go. Might as well get tanked. Exactly. Some people were saying how you, like you'd walk down the street and you could smell rum, basically. <laughs> it's just like hitting fast forward on the time. Right. <laughs> so in the days following the 12th, uh, the weather improved dramatically, and by Friday, the city was back to normal. Snow gone? Not like gone, but, but basically back to functioning. Oh my God. Which is kind of, it's it's again illustrative of how kind of nature works. Right. Where nature comes along, here's a fucking catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then bye! Oh, yeah, I'm done with that. I'm bored. Yeah, that was, right. that was fun. Enjoy yeah. your little city. Here's something else. Yeah. yeah. Why'd you build that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to knock it down. Yeah. Maybe. Or I don't know. Maybe I will. You guys Maybe in a thousand years I will. You guys don't know about polar fronts? Yeah. You stupid. <laughs> Wait till Aristotle you're... knew about them. He, yeah. <laughs> Not polar that. vortex. That's coming next. Yeah, that's that's next. There were some benefits. Part of the reason for the communication breakdown was, like I said, the tangles of overhead wires, right. which is, again, I'll, we'll post some pictures of that, but it's just, I don't know how... You couldn't see the sky. Not a great system. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a great system. Similarly, many gas mains ran above ground and you had the clusterfuck on the elevated trains. Right. All of that got moved underground in the space of about 30 years. <laughs> so subway, usually all those lines went underground, yeah. all the gas mains went underground. Takes a disaster to teach you some lessons. Yeah. yeah. Here's where you went wrong. Exactly. So all told, <laughs> 53 centimeters of snow fell on New York City, so 21 inches. Okay. In the span of a day. That's quite a bit. That's all at once. When we get 20 centimeters? Yeah. We're like, holy. That's that's intense. It's so this is 53 all at once in the late 19th century, yeah, where yeah. you don't have infrastructure <laughs> no ready plows. to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's people like hand shoveling. We'll post a lot of pictures. We'll, we'll we'll link them in the show notes and post them on our social media. You could see the snowbanks taller than people. All they had really was manual shovels. Right. And gumption. And, and gumption. Yeah. A lot of gumption. Yeah. All told, 400 people died because of this. Mm -hmm. 200 of them were in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, although that number also... It, gr it rose gradually to 200 because as the snow banks sort of melted, yeah. it just, here's another body. <laughs> they just kind of slip right. out. Like, oh, there's... Oh, there's dad. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> I was going to go with Uncle Bob. Well, went straight to dad. I went straight to the heart of it. Jeez. <laughs> Probably accurate. Sorry. All along the Great White Hurricane's path was destruction. So all told, I think 200 ships were destroyed. Ugh. Thousands of animals, including wild animals and livestock, were killed. Uh. Unrelenting force. Jeez. But it wouldn't be the last time that New York City saw snowfall in this magnitude. So, for example, February 1899 saw 40 centimeters, 16 inches in a day. Wow. We... March 1941, you had 45 centimeters or 18 inches in a day. Mm. December 1947, you had 26 inches in one day, 66 centimeters. Wow. And that was on Boxing Day. So, 
Merry Christmas. <laughs> Nature. And then actually January 22nd and 24th in 2016, I don't know if you remember, there was a 70 centimeter snowfall. Like yeah. 27 and a half inches. Oh, yeah. That sounds familiar. But interestingly, that shows you how far we've come because 1888, it essentially destroyed or shut the city down. Yeah. 2016, you had videos of people like snowboarding yeah, downtown. Right. And well, I remember that because they were that and in Ottawa, it was like, yeah, we're okay. Snow. Snow. A little yeah. bit of snow. We didn't get much. Again, that's that's a difference in preparation, I think. Yeah. Like New York City oh, has yeah. an infrastructure in place, but mm. it's not like our army of snow plows that oh, come no. out within an hour. But even the volume that they got versus what we got, oh, it yeah. was like, hey, we're up in here in Canada and we're just a little bit. Yeah. Nothing like you guys. I, I have to think the fact that they're Oceanside has a lot to do with it. Like, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Makes for volatile uh, conditions. The unfortunate reality is that these kinds of freak snowstorms are gradually going to become less and less the exception and more the norm. Mm. But that's something that we'll talk about in uh, an episode about the ongoing disaster we're all living in on a daily basis, mm -hmm. whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Yeah. So that's coming up soon. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. And that's the Great Blizzard of 1888. Oh, man. Right? And you got some sidebarceptions. You got a double <laughs> disaster. So there you go. I enjoyed the sidebarception. Yeah. And the Greeley something. Or Many other, disaster. Whatever you said. The Greeley expedition. Expedition. The yeah. Lady Franklin Bay expedition. Very interesting. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. So music. Music. What, what did, do we, do you normally, it's been a long time since it's just been the two of us. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you I, go first? Typically, you throw it to me. Sure. I, I'm going uh, I'm to I'm throw it to you. back. Okay. Well, Here it comes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, so this uh, this week, I went with a choice, kind of an obscure choice. So the artist or artists are Thomas Lear mm -hmm. and Robert Rental. Okay. You know? Nope. Uh, nope, neither. <laughs> For a long time. So okay. the album is called The Bridge. Okay. I discovered this from a, an interview with one of the members of Skinny Puppy. Oh, okay. My favorite band. Great band. Uh, Kevin Key was talking about how this album was a huge influence on Skinny Puppy back in the in the early days of the band. So okay. this album, The Bridge, came out in 79, I think. Mm -hmm. Sort of a predecessor for industrial music, just like Kevin Key says. Yep. Like largely based synthesizers. And it's an interesting, it's a really cool album because it starts off your typical song structure kind of there's verses and choruses and vocals yep. and as you get through the album it gets a lot more abstract the vocals disappear That's and cool. just sort of like weird ambient stuff nice so the song i picked is from the latter half of the album yeah uh, it's called interferon and it starts with this sort of keyboard making this noise it's like yeah totally makes me think of being pelted by snow right yeah. this eventually gives way to this calming kind of ambient keyboard like sort of cascading keyboard layers mm -hmm. which to me could be like you you sort of hear the thing about you know freezing to death yeah is almost kind of nice like in the end you feel warm yeah kind of drift away <laughs> so that seemed like sort of appropriate to me but probably the reason i thought of it was once i was listening to this album on break at work and i fell asleep and i literally had a dream that i was like <laughs> trudging through a blizzard. <laughs> Amazing. So it was That's like awesome. it came to me right away. So, yeah. Yeah. Robert Rental, Thomas Lear, Interfero. Awesome. Yeah. Weird, weird you should say about that, like walking yourself to death in winter. <laughs> yeah. I think... <laughs> Maybe I'm opening up a door here into some of my psyche, but I remember being at a like one of my parents' like dinner parties or something. Yeah, and they had a lot of doctor friends, and one of them was saying how <laughs> at one point he was like, you know, 
If I ever decided to kill myself, I think the way I would do it is I'd take a bottle of vodka and just go for a walk in the winter wilderness. <laughs> and the bottle would keep me warm, like feeling warm All right. until I was just too far gone. Then I'd lie down, fall asleep <laughs> and freeze to death. Just party talk. And I remember being as a kid, like, <laughs> How old were you? not like eight, but not 18. Right. So <laughs> Still I remember hearing a that being like, oh, okay. Okay. Go watch Power Rangers. Still, now. still at a point where like I could remember the Robert Munch book Fifty Below Zero. <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> no, I don't. Like the dad that sleepwalks and then he sleepwalks into the forest and the kid has to drag him back. No, I don't maybe know it's fresh one. in my mind because yeah. my son is into Robert Munch right okay. now. Okay, well, over to you. So my band is a band called Nitland. They describe themselves as Nordic ritual music or dark epic folk. Oh, man. I came across them recently. There's this playlist on Spotify I've been listening to a lot called Northern Spirits. Okay. So they're from Kalachinsk, Russia. Okay. It's about 3,300 kilometers east of the Chernobyl nuclear generating station. Uh-huh. For reference. Just because that's how we do it. They're a brother and a sister and a drummer. So the album is from a single called Valhalla Rising. Uh-huh. It came out in 2020. And the song is Valhalla Rising. Okay. The reason I picked it is in Norse mythology, warriors that died in combat would go to rest in Valhalla. Right. Which is this massive hall in Asgard where the gods lived ruled by Odin. Yeah. So the warriors that went to Valhalla would then rise during Ragnarok to help Odin. And Ragnarok foretold of a great battle and predicted massive natural disasters, Ah. resulting in the flooding of the world. And then the earth would rise again renewed to be repopulated by human survivors. Ah. I should specify two human survivors. Oh, to yeah. Kind of, kind of gloss over that. Every creation myth sort of has that. Sort of, yeah, the, like the Noah's Ark kind of thing. Anomaly, kind of like yeah. Who repopulated? Oh, just two people. Just two people. Go, 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 go. Uh, Yep, fine, 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 fine. No, no, that's cool. That's cool. It doesn't anyway, really bear thinking about it. But basically, that, that's where I saw the parallel because you had this blizzard that came in, destroyed everything. Yeah. And then New York City just rose and reworked its infrastructure and kind of became a new city yeah. in large part because of this blizzard that <laughs> yeah. they were like, I can't, can't do that again. Right. So, Smart. plus also the winter setting always kind of makes me, or at least lately, makes me think of like Nordic music. Yep. And I'd recommend checking out, even if you're not necessarily into like dark epic folk music on the <laughs> surface of it, I found listening to their latest album especially, Valhalla Rising, but they have a whole album that came out in 2018. It feels like it comes from a very similar place as black metal. Yes. Sounds nothing like it. Right. But listening to it, I it kind of tickled me the same way that black metal does. Right. Same kind spirit. Of. Yeah, same spirit. And it was just it was super cool. So check that out. Candles in the snow, man. Cool. I feel like it's just a matter of time before we talk about black metal in Norway. Maybe the Trojan <sighs> Tuesday. I mean, there's there's a disaster in there somewhere. Yeah. Or several. There's a lot of them. Anyway, stay tuned for that one. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for that. We're, we've just been purposely sidestepping it because it's yeah. so obvious. <laughs> to we'll, us. We'll get but there. We'll yeah. get there. In the meantime, uh, next time. We'll be learning about the importance of hand washing with a very special guest. Oh. Yeah, so stay tuned for that one. Germs. So if you want to help us out, like I said, the best thing you can do is tell a friend to listen. Tell anyone that'll listen to you to listen to us. That yeah. would be fantastic. Be you a real pain about it. Do it in it. person, do it in private, you know, <laughs> do it in social media where everyone can hear. That's super helpful too. If you want to at us at this disaster pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can check out our website where you can find all the information that we talk about, www.thisdisasterpod.com. Also check out our patreon.com slash this disaster pod. We just have one tier right now, but we've got a goal that if we meet, we've got some sweet new content in mind that will come that will, will come come right at you. Mm. And in the meantime, uh, join us for our next major disaster. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba.